May the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, um, we have an interesting encounter with the Lord. And it starts off with a woman who possibly is a, a fan of our Lord, um, who's been following. And so she yells out uh, flattering things to Christ, right? She yells out, blessed is the woman who, who nursed you, which in the, in the cultural context is the highest praise, right? It's how lucky is the person like that, that was your mother, the family that you, that you come from. And so some people say, oh, when he, when he trivialized this, oh, look, he didn't exalt his mother, but he did. He said, yes, that's true, right? That, that is true, blessed is that woman who did nurse me. But rather, like on a higher level, blessed is the person who, when they, they hear the word of God, they keep it. Right, where they actually listen to the word of God and they and they preserve it. They do something with it. And so what he's saying here is that it's not actually enough to just be associated with holiness. Right? So they're saying, Blessed is person because she's related to you. And he's saying, Well, that's not the thing, right? That's not what the issue is. It's not enough to be associated with holiness or to be associated with the right things as much as it is necessary to do. What, it is, what is right and holy. And many of us do this. Many of us take pride in someone in our family being a servant or a priest or someone high up there. Many of us will be excited that we're associated even just with the parish of somebody we think is holy, right? I don't know how many people are like, oh, I listen to Abunadud Lamai, which is great, right? But it's not enough to be associated with Abunadud or to listen to Pope Shinuda day and night Right? It's not, we're not holy by association, it's not by osmosis. I'm sure there's something we can, we can gain from being close to these holy people, of course, but it's not enough to just say, I'm with that person or I'm associated with that person that I think is holy. Many of us boast, even if only to ourselves, right, that we go to church, that we got our kids or our spouses baptized, um, and we think we have done a great thing, right? And our Lord says, yes, you have. Like, these are great things. And he's not denying it. Saying, but this association with, with holiness is helpful, but it's not the same as being holy, right? That's, that's where we have to take one step further. So he moves on to talk about the real attitude of the crowd as they mass around him. Where he's saying, I, I know why you're here. Right? So you're blessing me and you're, and you're very kind in doing so, but I know why you're here. And so he immediately says, and it seems to a person who's reading it today like Christ suddenly just flipped on them, right? but he says, an evil generation looks for a sign. Right? He's calling them out on the real reason why they, are th why they are there. And he was not upset so much about them wanting a sign as much as it was the spirit that was within them in terms of why they, they wanted him. Because in another place he says, if for no other reason than believe me for the signs, right? So he's not against the signs, he was performing them, right? If the signs were wrong, he wouldn't have done them, right? But he's saying that you're not here because you want holiness, you're not here because you want the truth, you're shouting nice things at me, but the reality is you're here because you want stuff, right? This is why you are here. And not only do they want stuff, but the people want a show 
and they feel entitled to having this show, right? They feel entitled that you're here, you're the rabbi, you're the prophet, perform, right? This is what they want from him. They don't care what the wonder worker is teaching, right? They don't care what is his message. They just want stuff. They don't care on what authority even he's doing the wonders. They're not even thinking, what does it mean the fact that he can, on his own word, raise the dead? They're not thinking, what does it mean when he says your sins are forgiven? These are claims of Godhead, right? These aren't normal claims. These aren't claims that other prophets made, right? This is something that only he is making. They weren't interested in that. They were interested in getting what it was that they wanted. As we saw in another sermon, they wanted the ketchup, not the fries, right? They wanted the frills, they wanted the stuff that goes on top of it. They didn't want the thing itself. They didn't want the truth for the sake of the truth. And so they weren't really believing what he was saying because they didn't even care about what he was saying. They didn't care about the truth. They were just enjoying the, these perks that seemed to come with this new prophet in their view, right? They were excited that there's finally a prophet and here are the perks they get a show. And this was indeed clearly how they were approaching him because once the show went negative, people left him, right? When they didn't get what they wanted, they left. We know that the same people who shouted Hosanna on Sunday shouted crucify him on Friday, right? The same people who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead Right, who had been dead for four days, were bearing witness against him for his crucifixion. Or even in a few chapters after this in, the, in John's account, when Christ made the bold claim that you need to eat my body and drink my blood, and then said, and I really mean it, like I'm, I'm not speaking symbolically here. He said, my flesh is flesh indeed, right? is really my body, and my blood is really my blood. It says that everybody got up and walked away. Right, to the point that he looked at the disciples and said, are you going to leave as well? Right? So clearly these people didn't care about the message as much as they did about what they were going to receive. Because whenever the message contradicted what they wanted, that was when they voted with their feet and said, we're going we're gonna to live without you. So we need to ask ourselves, are we here for the show? Or are we here for the content? Right? Are we here because we want to know what is the message of Christ? Or are we here because we want something? Right? Are we here because I want some kind of comfort? And again, there are comforts that come with it. That's not something that I'm saying doesn't exist. But what is the reason for I'm coming and what is the reason for my going? Do I accept praise but not criticism? Right? These are sons of people who don't care for the message, who want something that satisfies them. Am I happily accepting people telling me where I did a wonderful job? But the minute where they say, but you know, this part you could grow in, that it's like, oh, he doesn't get me. He doesn't understand me. Right? That person was so cruel, I can't believe that he told me that I was wrong. Can you believe that? Right? Not even just from the clergy, but from our parents, from our friends, from our colleagues. Right? Are we people who, who, who want only the good stuff. Do I want attention and never rebuke? Right? Do I want to be in the limelight? Do I want people to know that I'm leading, that I'm doing something, that I performed some task and I did it well, but not willing to accept a rebuke when I do something wrong? Right? Look at St. Peter. For all of his loudmouthness that he had, St. Peter is very 
a very impulsive person, right? He did actually handle criticism very well, right? Like our Lord at one point said, pray, like praised him and said, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. And literally like two verses later, he's like, get behind me, Satan, right? So he, and it doesn't say that Peter left, right, the apostleship and decided to go home because Christ gave him a strong word, right? Instead, he, he, he took it, he accepted it, right? And he became foremost among the apostles, right, in terms of what he did. Do I want someone to always tell me that I'm right, right? Is this what I'm looking for? Because many of us do this, even if we're not consciously doing this, many of us are. Why? Because we have sadness when someone tells us something wrong, right? Or I don't approach those people with the same joy that I did before they rebuked me, right? Where it's just like, I really liked him, but it turned out it's not how I thought, right? And like all that changed was that they said something true about myself or about something that I'm doing wrong. So am I here for the show? Am I here as somebody who when I wanted some particular favor from God and I didn't get it, decided that I'm going to vote with my feet? These are all ways that we are like these people. And so consequently, some people will miss the meaning of signs, which is why our Lord speaks with the sign of Jonah. He says, no, you're going to get a sign. And the sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, right? Which they didn't understand. Because it wasn't the sign that they wanted, right? They were waiting for the sign that they wanted. But the message of Jonah, the sign of Jonah was being thrown into a whale for a few days. And it was a dark sign, right? It wasn't a happy sign. It wasn't like, oh, this is so exciting, Jonah's in a whale. It was very dark. Right? Jonah was running from God. Right? Jonah was in a place of darkness. Jonah probably had no clue, unlike Christ, whether he was going to come out of this thing alive or not. Right? All he knew is that he was in the belly of a great fish that we're calling a whale. And the message of Jonah prefigured our Lord's message. Right? So the sign of Jonah prefigured our Lord that three days he was in a whale and came out, which was a sign and a prefiguring of Christ three days in the tomb and resurrection, but the message of Jonah also prefigured our Lord's, which is repent or you will perish, right? This is exactly what Jonah went to the people saying, right? If you don't change, this is what happens. This behavior leads to this consequence. And this is what our Lord um, was saying to the people. He was saying that if you also don't repent, if you also don't return, you will likewise perish. I am bringing to you the message of life. Jonah brought the message of life. Right? So we stop and say, oh, what a negative message. But he also said, fix it, you will live. Right? And this is exactly what our Lord was not only saying, but doing. He was fixing it so that people could live. He was going to rise from the dead so that people could um, live again. And so this message of repent or you will perish, that's not the message that most people like. But it's the truth. So the Lord is saying, you're going to get a sign. You might not like it, but it's true. right? This is, and, and if it's not true, it won't happen. But if it's true, you will see it. You will witness it. So it's like us when someone tells us something we're doing or want to do is not a good idea, and we get upset. And so our parents or someone come up to us and say, go ahead, but you'll regret this. right? We tend to not like that, but usually it's true. <laughs> usually when I do that, I do regret it. Right? And they're telling me it because it's true, not because they want me to be sad, but because it's the truth. And we're, for some reason, upset about that, because we want whatever it is that we want. Why do we get upset? Because we don't want the truth. 
right? We don't always want to go deep, right? We want often the superficial level, the instantaneous gratification. I remember Abuna Fanus of blessed memory of St. Paul the Anchorite's monastery in the Red Sea. And this is a very superficial example, forgive me, um, for the message that I'm trying to send. But there was masses and masses of people there to see him. And they were all lined up to see him. And they wanted the show, right? They had heard that there are crosses in his eyes. They heard that his hands alight. His name, Fanus, means like lantern, right? Something that, that luminesces. Right, and this was my first time as a as a rational person. I had seen him when I was in grade five or something, to go see him in two thousand and one or something, and all these people were in the masses. They were lining up in the ancient church of Saint Paul. They filled that church. They lined all the way up down, and they were waiting for them to bring a buna so that he could sit down, right, and they could receive his blessings. And they're hoping maybe he's going to say something exciting. Maybe he's going to do something. So a friend of mine that had come with me from St. Anthony's Monastery, actually he took me to St. Paul's, um, was in this lineup, and he got so upset. He got so upset because people were entering the church, and not a single person was praying Our Father. Not a single person was doing Matanya in front of the altar of greeting our Lord Christ, in whose name Abuna Fanus is doing anything that it was that he was doing, and to whose glory anything he was doing was supposed to be directed. So he got angry and he started yelling at people, which was something I wasn't able to do. And he was just like, what are you doing? Are you here to see Father Fanus or are you here to meet or encounter Christ? Which is it? And he, he rebuked them and this guy was 16, 17 years old um, and he's yelling at tetas and giddos and uncles and tans and like everybody that was there because they were there for the show. And because he had the right spirit, right, he had the right message, the only person of the, the thousands or, or many hundreds that were there that Abuna Fanus Abbar or, or acknowledged was that youth, right? Is that Abuna Fanus, when, when he finally came, had his head down and basically people lined up and he just put his hand practically without even looking at them and them, he didn't utter a word. When this person came, when it was his turn, Abuna Fanus looked up like, like actively, gave the biggest smile and nodded his head at him. As though to say to all the people what this young man said, this is the right message, right? Because this was a young man who came wanting Christ for Christ and knowing what is the context of things, right? That there isn't a meaning to Abuna Fanus, this, this show, outside of Abuna Fanus' God, right? And, and outside of Christ. So we need to want the right thing. So then our Lord jumps... Um, sorry... So our Lord says, well, you know what? Other people are going to believe me before we get into what he jumps to. Right? So he then makes this connection that not everybody understands where he says, the Queen of Sheba will arise from the south and will judge this generation. And he used the Queen of Sheba as an example for a particular reason. Queen of Sheba, right, came from Ethiopia to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Right? She was not a Jew. Right? She was a Gentile. And she had heard about the wisdom of Solomon, the divinely inspired words, and said, whoever this guy is, clearly God is moving him, I'm going to come. And she believed at his words, which encountered Solomon. So he's saying, that woman is going to judge this generation because you don't believe me, right? You don't believe what I'm saying. I am coming as one of you. I'm coming as a fulfillment of your prophet, prophetic books, right? And I am coming as a Jew to you as Jews, Right? And that's why he says salvation is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Right? 
and you don't believe me. And so you know what? There are going to be people coming who will believe me. And those are the Gentiles, right? Just like the Queen of Sheba did. And the Gentiles are us. We sometimes forget that, right? We become very much like the Jews who feel very entitled to things. Um, but we were Gentiles. We did not have the gospel. It was only by the grace of God that we received the gospel. That Mark, a Jew, right, came and brought to the land of Alexandria. And so a non-Jew being moved by the divine inspiration of the Jew is exactly what was going to happen. It was a prefiguring of us. Look at how outsiders view the church when they come for truth, right? Often they're more zealous than those who are in it, right? Because we're more likely to want the show. That Abuna doesn't do this. These servants are horrible. I'm not saying that these criticisms are never justified, but I'm just saying that that's usually where we sit, right, is, is in that position to talk about how the wrong things are. Whereas you have this person who's coming for the sake of the message, who's like, well, I don't care about any of that. I didn't have this truth for the longest time, and I'm excited to have it. And it's not even just somebody who comes from outside the faith. There's a, a young man at my home church who was raised mostly away from the church because they were traveling his whole life. He never had a church. And so when he came and he saw our group of youth so zealous and they knew hymns and they, they could quote patristics and desert fathers and sing hymns and do tazbaha and all these wonderful holy things, he felt so behind, right? And so he had this sense of urgency of I need to learn all of these things because I never had it. And he didn't know that within no time he had excelled and surpassed most of them, right? Because he viewed himself as being inferior. He viewed himself as not knowing things, right? That he was excited to learn more and more and more. And until this day, makes the comments of like, I didn't grow up here, I still need to learn more. And so in three years, he read way more books than, than any of them had read, right? He was seeking guidance in a way that most of them were not seeking because he didn't take it for granted, Right? He took it as, as, a, as a pearl of great price, as a treasure that he should do. So then our Lord jumps to talking about light. Right? He says, Jonah, you didn't believe. Someone greater than Jonah is here. And then suddenly he says, no one who has the light puts it under a basket. Right? St. Cyril explains this. Right? And he says that a lamp is always elevated and put on a stand to be of use to those who see. Right? This is why we put out lamps. And so St. Cyril says, let us consider what does this mean. Before the coming of our Savior, the father of darkness, Satan, made the world dark and blackened all things into a gloom, an intellectual gloom. In this state of affairs, the Father gave us the Son to be a lamp to the world, to illumine us with divine light and to rescue us from darkness. Since you blame the lamp because it is not hidden, but on the contrary is being set on high on a stand and gives light to those who see, then blame Christ for not wishing to be concealed, that he was being showy, they, weren't, they were upset with this. But Christ is coming to illumine all, right? And it is from his light that we are lights, right? We only radiate the light of Christ. We are like the moon, as, as Pope Shenouda would always say, right? A moon radiates the light of, of, of the sun. It doesn't have its own light. It is radiating the light of, of the sun. And so what this means for us is, what are the eyes through which you see? He says the lamp of the body is the eye, right? And if there's any darkness in your eye, the whole body will be full of darkness, right? These are like those filtered glasses that people wear, right? If you wear tinted glasses, you're going to see the world darker, 
right? If you wear it with some kind of red hue, you're filtering at a certain kind of light, you're going to see the world in that red hue, right? So the question is, how do I view things? Am I one of these Jews who's sitting in front of Christ to say how wrong he is, right? Or am I trying to see him for who he is, right? Because if I have the right filter on, I'm going to see it. If I have the, the, the filter of entitlement, as he was talking about earlier, then I am going to have a very horrible existence. Because if I think that I'm entitled to everything and I don't get it, I'm only going to be upset all the time because you're not entitled and you're not going to get everything that you want. And so when you don't get everything you want and that's what you expect, you're going to be disappointed because we're only upset when we have an expectation and the expectation isn't met. That's why we get upset. Right? It's always because there's a conflict of wills. I willed something, my will was declined. Right? Whether through another person or a circumstance or whatever it is. So is my eye full of light? Do I look at things for the sake of the truth? Right? Or do I look at things in my own world view and not wanting to know what the truth of the matter is? Right? Christ gave a message they didn't like, but it was true. Is my eye aligned with and desiring what is true? Or is my eye aligned with what I want and how I feel in spite of whether or not it is true or it is false? Light is simple. Very simple. Right? The light is true. It simply shines. Right? And by virtue of its shining, darkness is cast away. It's not a frill. Right? It's not a superpower. It's not a show, it's what it does by simply being what it is, right? Just like the truth, it is not dressed up. So make sure that you like the light for light and that you want truth for the sake of truth, that you want God for the sake of truth and not for the show. If you have an eye for truth, you will see wonders, you will. You will see wonders in their truest glory and their authentic, intrinsic value. And your greatest comfort will come from that light that shines out and casts away any of your darkness. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.